Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham, sponsored by NordVPN. Now we're in the final week of the World Cup, so that means we are two weeks away from Tottenham returning to Premier League action against Brentford on Boxing Day at the Brentford Community Stadium. As ever, in the world of Tottenham, there's plenty to discuss. Alistair Gold joining me as ever. Ali, you okay? Yeah, apart from the England disappointment and obviously Harry Kane disappointment, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, we've got loads to talk about at Tottenham. That's the main thing, I think. Um, we could kind of wallow in the depths of despair about another England exit from a major tournament. But when we do talk about that, you know, we're just, just a little bit on Harry Kane, I think. I don't think we're going to bother ourselves too much about, you know, wallowing in the depths again. I think there's loads of stuff to talk about Tottenham and positive stuff as well. So, yeah, let's have a good chat about Spurs, I reckon. Right. Antonio Conte's Tottenham contract is a, a big talking point at the moment. You've done a story on it this morning. Do you want to give us all the latest on that situation? Yeah, well, obviously, Conte himself told us, didn't he, last month before he headed off into his uh, sunny, exotic holiday with his family. Still trying to work out where he went. Honestly, that man's tan is incredible. <laughs> that is not the Italian sun. That is a very exotic holiday somewhere. Um, just making me feel very, very jealous. Uh, but yeah, he told us that you know there was going to be talks this month between himself, Chairman Daniel Levy, and the Managing Director of Football, Fabio Paratici. Um, and that's what's coming to pass this week. Um, they're going to be talking about all things going forward at the club. That includes Conte and a new contract. That includes transfer plans for next month. And pretty much the scale of Spurs' ambition, really, and the time frame. Conte's always spoken about it's about how quickly you want the success. And obviously that speed at which Spurs want they, their success will be spoken about as well in these talks. Um, and I think it kind of, it all fits together. You know, it all fits together. And, and if Spurs make Conte happy and say the the whisper the sweet nothings into his ear that he wants to hear then of course he's going to stick around because he'll believe he can win silverware and probably earn a fair bit of money in the process um and likewise spurs will be happy with conte if they believe that he can take them to the the you know the promised land of a, a second trophy in 20 something years so yeah we'll see what happens from everything i understand Conte is very happy, being re-energised after that very nice holiday. Um, and there is a hope that he will put pen to paper on a new deal. Of course, you know, we know the club have got an option to extend it by another year anyway. Um, current one that he signed back in November 2021 ends um, in this summer, after this season. But Spurs do have that little safety net, as much of a safety net as you can have with Antonio Conte as your manager, because um, he is a man that... You know, we'll just head off into the sunset if he doesn't like things. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a fascinating week. It's one of those where you'd love to be a fly on the wall because I'd imagine there's going to be a lot spoken about that will probably never see the light of day. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's essentially laying the foundations for what the next chapter of the Conte Tottenham era could look like. I think it's one thing what Tottenham fans would like to see sooner rather than later. That'd be an ideal Christmas present, really. Antonio Conte, yes. you know, signing on the dotted line uh, for the long term because with it being 
an 18-month deal, obviously with Tottenham having that safety net, an extra 12 months. It's always just looked a bit of a temporary deal, really, and Tottenham could be back to square one sooner rather than later. And I mean, about three months into Conte's Tottenham reign, there were questions, was it, would he even last the season after that defeat yeah. at Burnley when he was uh, discussing his future? And his future has continued to be a talking point uh, because obviously fans aren't sure whether he could just go at some point. Uh, he's, he had two years at Chelsea, left into Milan after two years. I think it's usually three years at a club where what he might have had and then he's gone elsewhere. So obviously that's always going to be at the back of uh, Tottenham fans' mind. And I think the only thing really you can do to settle everyone's nerves maybe is just by signing that long-term deal. And hopefully uh, that does come to fruition sooner rather than later because... Spurs have made big strides under Conte, uh, managed to get Champions League football uh, for this season. Yeah, the form has been a bit patchy in recent months, but Spurs are still in a really good position to kick on. And Antonio is a proven winner. He's won trophies at Juventus, won the title in to Milan. Same at Chelsea as well, got them to cup finals. That's what we want to see happening at Tottenham. Conte is the best man for the job. You just want it to be long-term rather than short-term. You've absolutely answered my next question. <laughs> I was going to ask you because <laughs> he did say next month that he has to feel he's deserved a new contract if there is one coming. Uh, and yeah, you've pretty much answered it. And, and to be honest, I agree. I think, you know, like you say, fourth place finish, return to Champions League football. This season, they're fourth again, gotten through to the last 16. Of course, we can have quibbles about the style of football at times. I do think that has also been a consequence of the craziness of the fixture schedule, um, but also an element of him not rotating much as well. Um, but on the whole, do I think he deserves a new deal? And do I think a Tottenham Hotspur that has got Conte locked in or as locked in as you can get Conte, I think that sends a strong message to everyone, really. Fans, players, staff, about the direction they're going in and what they want to do. Because, yeah, it's very much, um, how do I put this? If you're choosing Antonio Conte to be your manager, you're very much deciding on a certain kind of future for your club. Um, it's, a, it's a future that should involve silverware. It's a future that should involve spending. It's a future that might not involve too many young players coming through the ranks. I'm going to talk about that in a little moment. Um, but it is very much for a club that's been absolutely starved of silverware and the fans waiting desperately for it. It's certainly exciting in that regard. Um, so, yeah, hopefully positive uh, stuff comes out of this. You'd, you'd think it, it will, um, purely because, and I think we've been here before, we've said this before, if it all were to fall apart and collapse, I think it probably only reflects on the club at this point. Um, because of what Conte's done this far, uh, thus far. So, yeah, I, I think the pressure's probably more on the club to satisfy Conte than it is the other way around right now. So are we saying is that, obviously, to satisfy, satisfy his ambitions, is that going to be solely down to the transfer market in January and then next summer? I think he's... Uh, I think, yeah, it's twofold, isn't it? It's the January transfer window, what they're going to get done and what that means he can achieve this season. But I also think a bulk of it will be what the plan is for next season. You know, uh, well, he said it himself, really. He's a man that, you know, he's not 
content just battling for a top four spot. He's a man that wants to be at the top of the table. Although I do think there's a growing realism with him in terms of what the Premier League has become since probably since he left um, Chelsea those years back. Was it about half a decade ago now? When did he leave Chelsea? He left Chelsea this summer of 2018. Right. Okay. Yeah. So we're almost a half decade. Um, well, four was it four and a half years? Um, yeah. I think the Premier League now is such a tough nut to crack. It's not one where if you just spend a little bit of money, you're fine. <laughs> it's just, you've got to spend a fair whack of money just to even hang on the coattails of those kind of top teams, you know. So. But then I guess you look at Arsenal and I think he would look at Arsenal and so will Spurs and say, well, you know, they haven't spent ridiculous amounts of money. They have spent good money and they've kind of got some good transfers, although I'm intrigued to see what happens with Gabriel Jesus's injury and, and how they kind of bounce back from that. But it's there. It's there if you can get a good team spirit and put a consistent run of results together to be up there. Um, so, yeah, maybe that plays a part. Maybe inadvertently. Arsenal's season gives a little bit more hope all round that actually, you know, you can take on these big spenders. Um, I mean, Spurs almost did it under Pochettino. It's not like it's unheard of. Um, but yeah, no, I'm intrigued to see which way it goes. I do think there needs to be a statement of ambition from the club to him about what, let's say, the next 18 months holds at least. Um, and obviously... I'm sure the contract itself, he's always, you know, said, I don't care about money and all that, but the best managers in the world like to be appreciated. So I'm sure he'd uh, want one of the best contracts in the world as well. So yeah, we'll see what comes out of this week. Well, he, he said a number of times during his Tottenham career so far in press conferences that, you know, things aren't going to be solved in one or two windows yeah. and Spurs aren't immediately going to be at the level of, of Man City and Liverpool. I think it's just a case of building, getting stronger each year and just progressing like that. And I don't see there being wholesale changes in January. That's never the case in January. It'll probably be a couple of players coming in through the door, maybe a few players leaving. But with Spurs adding... Uh, numbers in the summer. Now it's about adding some real quality to improve that start in 11. It happened at the start of this year with Rodrigo Bentenker and Dane Kulisewski coming in and now Spurs need to do likewise. going to be extremely hard to top those two deals but it's just that extra bit of quality uh, I think Tottenham need and if they can do that and again finish in Champions League place you know maybe have a really good run in the FA Cup and go far hopefully as well in the Champions League with AC Milan on the agenda in February. Then you can look to the summer and then really starting to add a bit more to the squad, more quality, more numbers, and just building from there. It's step-by-step. Step. He said it loads of times. It's not going to happen overnight. So Spurs are heading in the right direction under him. I think in order for Conte to commit long-term, you need to give him what he wants in the transfer market. I think that's been the case at Chelsea, Inter Milan, etc. That's what Tottenham need to do for me. Yeah, no, and I think you're right. And that seems to be the plan. From what I keep hearing is that at least two new faces in January um, of a similar standard to what they did with Benton Kerr and, and Kulisevsky in that they are two signings that will galvanise the squad 
and really kind of push them on in the second half. So that's the plan. We know January transfer window isn't as easy, but they've kind of made a rod for their own back because uh, a Rodrigo Bentico for their own back. They've um, managed to get two, you know, fantastic players that changed their season in January. So kind of it, it does shred the uh, reasoning that a January transfer window is more difficult because, you know, you sign those players January or summer, you're going to be delighted with those kind of players. So, yeah, two players, but also examining any opportunities that arise to improve the the fringe players under Conte as well. Um, that's, you know, I've said this a million times, but that's what it's always called the January window, isn't it? It's a window of opportunity. It's finding any kind of little deals that suddenly emerge. And I do think this is going to be a busier one because of the World Cup. I mean, there's a lot of unexpected injuries that have occurred, probably because of the World Cup. Um and also teams just having that bit of time to take stock and think about what they want to do and players maybe taking stock about their future as well. Um, you know, obviously there's one link that we've we've seen a lot this week, certainly in the Portuguese press, has been Pedro Porro, the um, right... God, how to describe him? He's, he's like a right-back, right-wing-back, right-winger. He's a bit of everything down that right-hand side for sporting. Um, been with Spain at the World Cup, wasn't he, um, as well. I think he's 23. I think he's only 23 as well. Um, from what I understand, um, he is a player that Spurs have looked at for a couple of years. I know he was at Man City before, so no doubt Spurs would have kind of scouted him whenever he'd... Um, I'm trying to think, did he even play for Man City? I'm trying to remember I'm, now. I'm just having a look now. No, yeah. it, it doesn't look like uh, he did, certainly not in the Premier League. straight no. out. Yeah, but well, I think that's the case with a lot at City who have been there. Yeah. They're in the system and they go elsewhere. Like Douglas Louise, Aston Villa, he was at City for a bit. Yeah, no, he never played for them. Yeah, okay. Well, he's certainly someone that Spurs have looked at in the last few years. Uh, they do like him. Um, he is represented by CAA Base, who have a very close relationship with Spurs. Very close. The only thing I would say, I have heard kind of a couple of murmurs that he's there's some doubt over whether physically he fits the mold of a Conte wing back. I mean I think he's five foot seven. I don't think he's a big guy. Um and obviously you look at the kind of players that Conte normally plays in the wing back roles and they are quite big tough players. I mean obviously Perisic is a is a good example of one he's used in the past and uh, Hakimi, I'm trying to think. Hakimi's not small, is he? I think he's quite a kind of physical unit as well. Um, and obviously, you know, the players that he's currently got at his disposal, whatever you make of the qualities of them, there is a kind of a, a singular defining thing, and they are all quite strong. Um, on the whole, quite big player. I'm trying to think Ryan Sessignon probably isn't particularly tall. Um, it's one of those, sometimes it's kind of catches you off guard doesn't it sometimes these players don't look tall and then when we actually see them in the flesh and we talk to them we kind of think wow you're actually either the same size or taller than me um but yeah that's the only thing i've heard is there is a little bit of doubt over whether it's someone that the club really like and have looked at for a few years but actually is it someone conte would be desperate for and that would fit his ideal right uh wing back Obviously, it has a massive knock-on effect as well if if they were to make a move for Poro because, obviously, that would be four right wing-backs um, and you could include, you know, 
Perisic, Kulusevsky, Lucas in that argument as well. You can make a team of right wing backs, I suppose. Um, obviously, someone would have to go. Um, perhaps two. Perhaps, you know, Jed Spence would have to go on loan as well in that moment because that really would be whacking another person in the in the pecking order ahead of him. Um, yeah, it'd be an interesting one, that. Um, I'm intrigued to see what happens with Spence as well because Spence does fit the mould of a right wing back um, for Conte. Um, yeah, I'm kind of... I want to find out a little bit more and it's something I'm going to concentrate on this week on, on really exactly what the future holds for Jed Spence this season and what he's being told behind the scenes. Or So that's something I think to dig our teeth into a little bit more as well. But Porro, yeah, we'll have to see on that one. Um, that's my only fear is that people have said this about Spence, you know, being a club signing, maybe not someone Conte desperately wanted. And the worst thing they could do, I think, is if if Porro was a similar situation. I'm not saying it definitely is. I'm just saying there has been some mumblings about, uh, murmurings even, not mumblings, about whether he actually fits the bill uh, for Conte. So, yeah, we'll see what happens with him. But uh, there's going to be movement this January. There's definitely going to have to be. Uh, Conte came out and said it himself, didn't he? You know, we need new signings, and that's what I'll be telling the club. So, yeah pressure on Spurs but then they've had this whole time to start setting up deals they really have I hope they don't do the old cliched let's make a signing based on how they played at the World Cup I mean god the amount of players that we've seen have incredible World Cups and then big clubs or something sign them up and they're absolutely dreadful um there's a long long list probably Everton by most of those kind of players but it's a joke <laughs> it's a joke <laughs> just just a Rob guest face joke um but yeah, I think we all get very excited. I've seen loads of people on Twitter like calling for this player or that who's had some good games in the World Cup. I cannot stress how different international football is to the hustle and bustle of the Premier League. Um, it needs to be someone that the club have properly targeted, scouted, and know is a fit for Conte, but also the Premier League. And again, that's why Benson Kulusevski have been so fantastic because that's exactly what happened with him. It's going to be really interesting to see what areas uh, they're going to prioritise in January if they're looking at least to bring in two fresh uh, faces in. I think for me, right wing back's the one you're looking at. In order for Conte's system to really flourish, uh, you need your right wing back on song, getting those goals and assists. That happened for Conte at Chelsea with Moses and Alonso and either flank. It's not worked just yet at Tottenham, but there's still plenty of time to fix that I think they need sign that Jed Spence lad he looks <laughs> well we'll come on to Spence in a, in a bit so he did look quite decent on Friday against Motherwell uh, but we will come on to that I think as well uh, just another creative option just another an alternative to Kulaseski because we just saw how badly he was missed when he was out of the team in October for those 10 games and Spurs can't afford to be in a position like that again when the likes of Kane, Son, Richarlison up front there starved of service just due to a lack of creativity. But I think for me as well, do you look at bringing a, a new centre back in? Uh, I mean, there's I know Longley's played in the middle recently for Dyer, but there doesn't really seem to be an alternative for Dyer because I mean, look at the amount of minutes he's he's played over the course of the season, not really had a rest. I know he was dropped down to the bench at Bournemouth, but he was needed in the final half an hour uh, to come on. But I mean, that's the same 
pretty much all across the Tottenham team. I think there's been an over-reliance on some players uh, having to play pretty, pretty much every single minute uh, this season. So there's certainly a lot for Tottenham to do in the transfer market. As I was saying, I don't think it's going to be wholesale changes, but what they do, they need to get right because this could be key to a Champions League finish or not come May. Uh as you were saying earlier, Ali, uh, you touched on the academy side of things in terms of yeah. Conte and his contract. You are just going into a bit more depth on that. Yeah, I mean that is one frustration, concern. I think within the club um, is that you know when you've got the chairman Daniel Levy. I don't know if you remember. Do you remember that big? statement the one what we that we used a million times during the whole managerial search farce that happened when daniel levy came out quite publicly and said you know we want a manager that is you know knows our club's dna and what brings through young players and it's a bit like yeah okay uh, you've now got antonio conte antonio conte is not a man i don't think for a club's dna and i don't think he's a man for bringing through young players particularly either and I think that's what Spurs are now finding, that they've gone away from kind of what they wanted in terms of the profile of a manager. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it's not exactly the manager that they were going for. And I now think they're starting to see some repercussions when it comes to the academy pathway through to the first team, because obviously there is none, <laughs> really. We can, try and, we can try and pretend and we can try and say, oh, yeah, you know, there's this very talented young player. There's, you know... Uh, player a b or c that they're going to be brilliant under conte eventually and you know you and i are always writing articles about the the young players who could come through but i think you and i being at our most honest um let's not say we're never we're we're never <laughs> not honest um but you know i think we both say i'd struggle to see conte promoting any young player and that, that's and that's obviously just a a byproduct of the fact that the guy is a winner for the now and that's what he wants. He wants ready-made players. Um, and from what I understand, there's a little bit of a frustration, um, you know, more in the, the in the academy side of things that, that this pathway doesn't really seem to be there. From what I understand, from where Conte differs with previous managers at Tottenham is that Conte's kind of belief is very much it's the role of the academy and the academy staff to develop the player's uh, the young players there to be in a position that they can slot straight into his squad if he needs to use them. So his role is less on the development side of the young players, and that's more to do with the academy staff's role, which I can understand his logic. I can understand that kind of that is one way of thinking. However, we also know that there's a lot of managers out there who take a great deal of pleasure in being that final stage of development for young players. Um, and it's very difficult to kind of see how an 18 or 19-year-old, let's say, um, can be developed at an academy level to be ready to slot straight into a Premier League, Champions League um, challenging football team. That, for me, doesn't entirely match up. I mean, you even look at, you know, we were talking about Man City earlier and, and Pedro Porro never really getting a chance. But then they have had young players that, don't get me wrong, they're sensational players, clearly. Uh, the likes of Phil Foden um, and is it Rico Palmer? I'm trying to remember. There's uh, Cole Palmer. Cole Palmer. Uh, and and Rico. Is it Rico Lewis? Rico, Rico Lewis. Rico Lewis, that's it. I'm putting two players together there. Um, they're... 
they're getting little minutes here and there. You know, you start them off. It's a well, um, you know, walked uh, path of giving them minutes here and there in the cup matches, domestic matches, getting them used to the um, challenges that the first team environment brings when it comes to matches. And then if you do need to throw them into the Premier League or the Champions League, they've got that bit of experience. They've got that kind of belief. They understand it a bit better. Whereas I feel like, from what I understand, that Conte's belief is very much, no, 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 that's where I want them. I want them ready to put into a Champions League or Premier League match. And it's like, I don't think that is really the reality. Um, and, you know, and I think we're seeing it. We're we're seeing it in the, a squad that... Oh, it sounds. I don't want to kind of dig out Conte because I do think he's been a tremendous success at Spurs. But if you're going to look at a youth aspect, I don't think it's any coincidence that all of the players that we're kind of questioning why they're not getting this time and that are young players. You know, you look at Jed Spence, what is he, 22 now. Uh, you look at Brian Hill, 21. You look at, um, well, even Jaffet Tanganga. You know, Jaffet Tanganga is a relatively young defender of the bunch as well. Poor old Harvey White. <laughs> Harvey White, I feel so sorry for him. Once in a while, Conte will name-check him. He'll say, oh, yeah, and Harvey White, he's improving rapidly behind the scenes. But I'm not going to give him any minutes. And the poor lad has had his loan at Portsmouth, got a couple of games under Mourinho, which looked like a really kind of a bright moments for him. And he hasn't appeared in a single competitive minute for Conte, has he? I, I can't think of anything that he's any time he's come on the pitch. Um and Pape Matasar. Will Pape Matasar ever play? You know, we're, we've actually had to watch the World Cup to see Pape Matasar play, <laughs> which is ridiculous. You know, the guy's won the Africa Cup of Nations with Senegal. He's played well against England as well in the last 16 in the World Cup. Has he played for Tottenham even in the Carabao Cup? Nope. Um, and this is a side that I think is the one frustration uh, with Conte is that there's no pathway. And I think the, the risk for Spurs is then is the academy players, why would they stick around? You know, if they were to come to the end of the deal, why would they sign new contracts at Spurs while Conte is there? Because, you know, you look at some of the young players, and I know some of the younger players in the academy are currently there's eyes on them from some of the big, big boys in the Premier League. Um, and I guess if they sit down and think about it, it's like, will I ever play for Tottenham Hotspur? You know, you look at like probably the most talented ones, let's say Dane Scarlett and Alfie Devine. You know, you've got Will Lancashire coming along now, Jamie Donnelly, Alfie Dorrington, they all uh, featured against Motherwell the other day. Um, and that doesn't count. <laughs> it doesn't count if it's a training ground friendly. Um, and they must be thinking like, you know, Will I play? Will I ever play? I mean, Conte raved about Dane Scarlett. Absolutely said, you know, you can see this kid's going to have a magnificent future. I think he gave him three minutes. I looked it up. I think it was three minutes at the end of one game. Maybe once FA Cup and once against Leeds. I think it was maybe three minutes in each. Um, so, yeah, it's there is no pathway. But it's a difficult one because I know there'll be some fans listening to this thinking, so? Because, you know, I understand that there's some fans that see a club as a whole. They see it as the growth and production line of the young players. And let's be honest, you know, the fans sing the, the, the chant, one of our own. There is nothing more enjoyable than seeing one of your own players come through and be a, you know, a superstar. But Spurs are kind of at this stage now. It's a crossroads, really, for Daniel Levy. It's that he's spoken about the DNA, he's spoken about promoting youth, 
but he's also been the chairman of a football club that in his time as chairman has won one trophy, a League Cup, um, in 20-plus years. So they've got to decide what comes next. <clears throat> do you risk the academy? Do you risk losing some of your better players? Uh, you know, Do you have to then follow, like we are just saying, a Man City model, a Chelsea model of bringing in young players but loaning them out? And the, they kind of know that maybe they won't get a chance till what, 21, 22, 23, maybe, if they've really, really continued to progress at other clubs. Um, yeah. And in doing so, do you challenge for trophies now? Because I think a lot of fans are desperate for silverware, and I understand that. But it's a tough line to tread. It's a very tough line to tread. I mean, what what do you think? What, what do you think about the whole thing, I guess? I think it's very rare you're going to get a player who can go from the academy and go straight into the first team and perform at that level. I think one of the standout ones to me was Wayne Rooney when he came through at Everton as a 16-year-old. But even still, David Moyes wasn't playing him week in, week out. He wanted to you know, take him out of the limelight. And, and he was a generational at, talent, wasn't he? Yeah. Exactly. So it's very, very rare you are going to have someone who can go from the academy to the first team and play and become an absolute superstar straight away. I mean, look at Dane Scarlett. Jose Mourinho has raved about him. Antonio Conte. Uh, Jose gave him minutes in the Conference League, same as Nuno. But then you can see there's a massive difference between the academy and the first team because it was being bullied in a number of those games by the experienced players and it's a case of you've got to give them the minutes here and there to build up that experience and aid their development I just don't see how unless you have got this generational talent in your academy how they can go from the academy into uh, the first team I mean look at Chelsea finally they had players coming through their academy into the first team Reese James, Mason Mount, Tamare, Tammy Abraham. But that all came after having uh, loan spells elsewhere. It wasn't a case of just going academy into the first team. So, yeah, I think all in all, we would like to see loads of players coming through with the academy and playing uh, for the Tottenham first team. That's the same for, you know, fans all across the country, for whoever the support, but... I don't think, especially in today's game with the money available, uh, I think coaches are just not going to do it because at the end of the day, yeah. they're fighting for you know, the Champions League money to win the Premier League title. And they can't have, exactly. You can't afford to be, you know, trying to blood these youngsters and hoping they can, you know, find a stride straight away. Uh, it's a difficult one, really. I think it's I think Spurs are probably doing the right thing at the moment in terms of having Harvey White training with the first team day in, day out. And when they had Dane in the first team... Harvey White is 21, we should stress. It's not yeah. like he's really a kid anymore. But if a first team opportunity arises for Harvey to come into the team, I don't think he'd be at the level straight away. It's going to be a case of giving him minutes here and there. Mm. Uh, so, yeah... It's, it's a tough one, uh, really, but I think in today's game with the money available, as you've saying, managers fighting for the jobs, they just can't really afford to blood the youngsters, especially if you're fighting at the top for all these top honours. Yeah, and I guess, again, I know we don't want to always talk about that lot down the road, but look at Arsenal. 
So there's quite a few young Arsenal players that have been brought through there. And it's, yeah, I know it's a different style of management and I know it's a different style of running a football club, I guess. But some fans may well look at that as well. They may look down the road and think, well, they've managed to do it. And I think Pochettino, in when he was challenging Conte's Chelsea, you know, in those years where Spurs were in the top three, three years in a row, it was with a team that was built on a lot of young players being brought through, uh, bought and developed as well. Um, and you, so it does kind of prove you can do it, but then maybe Conte would say, yeah, but you know, you didn't win the league. And he could say that about Arsenal if they don't do it. Um, I mean, is it the difference between that next step? I mean, Pochettino himself did admit that when he started, it was easier to bring in young players because in his words, you could bring in a player who was maybe a seven or an eight uh, in terms of how good they were, um, and you because you weren't fighting for the top, top, top stuff. Whereas, as it kind of went on, you know, a player had to be a nine or a ten to um, to be able. to... So I'm just about to sneeze. No, I'm not. It's gone away. There's <laughs> a mid sentence. It was trying to creep up on me. Yeah, it would have to be a nine or a ten. Um, and those players are, are more difficult to find in the academy. Like, you, you know, we said that they're the kind of generational talents, really, that come along. Like, like a Phil Foden. I think a Phil Foden is going to be an incredible player. I mean, Jude Bellingham. You know, Jude Bellingham is, is proving to be one of the best kind of young players in the world. Where did, did he start out at Birmingham, Jude Bellingham? Or did he come through yeah. somewhere else? No, Bellingham came through the system at Birmingham. They made his debut as a 16-year-old. Then, you know, not long after, straight to Borussia Dortmund. Birmingham retiring his shirt number. Yeah, he was yeah. at Birmingham. But I think with Foden, it was a case of, you know, Guardiola just giving him the minutes here and there straight away. He never went straight into the first team and played 90 minutes every single week. Yeah, It's just a case of building them up and just giving them the minutes. Then you just got to take an opportunity and trust them. I think Is it that's the way. Yeah. It's belief, isn't it? It's believing in young players. And I just don't know if Conte does. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think you've just got to give him a chance because, I mean, like to Mikai Sacco at Arsenal, he was given an opportunity in, you know, the cup games, what Arsenal usually do in the Europa League. Uh, yeah, I think you've just got to trust him and, you know, just have that belief that they can make the step up. But the funny thing is, he trusts Ryan Sessegnon. Ryan Sessegnon is like the exception to the rule, isn't he? He's 22 now. And if you'll ask him about kind of Ryan Sessegnon, he he trusts him and he'll put him in the big games. I do think in the biggest of games, Sessegnon's probably been at his best. Um, it's a strange one. It, there's, maybe it's because Sess has been playing since he was 16. Maybe there is, he's kind of wise in his head despite his years. He's been playing since he's 16. So maybe a bit like Rooney in terms of not saying that similar standard or, of, of talent or anything, but They've been playing so long. I mean, what's that? Six years already in their career at 22. Then, yeah, maybe that's what it's about. Someone else has got to lay the groundwork. Otherwise, he won't play them, perhaps. So I think with Sessignon as well, he'll probably play the good three seasons at Fulham before he went to Tottenham. So that might be 100 appearances in there. You know, high-level games as well, because Fulham at the time were playing in Championship playoff final, you know, fighting to get into the Premier League. So... There's that experience there. Bundesliga Uh, as well, on loan at Hoffenheim. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Right, as we're now, well, we're more than halfway through the show. Uh, So, Ali, do you want to just let everyone know about the benefits of using NordVPN? 
Yeah, as you may be aware of now, the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN. Um, you can use the service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world. That means there's no buffering, no lagging. You can stream your favorite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling. Um, you know, obviously, I've used it many times before, um, whether it be for just kind of watching shows on services that I've paid for that otherwise you can't watch abroad for some weird reason. Um, NordVPN obviously allows you to kind of just set your device to believing it's back in the UK so you can watch these things. And it works in the other direction as well if you want to use that in terms of, you know, you can subscribe to things that maybe are based abroad, uh, which there's no real reason that you shouldn't be able to get, but you can through Nord. So it's not just a a way of keeping everything safe on your devices, which is what Nord also does. The security of it is fantastic. It also provides you with this uh, ability to just watch things and, and use your devices in ways that opens it up globally rather than just limiting it to just your country. So, you know, not only that, the outlay, I guess, on a NordVPN subscription is cheaper for you in the long run. And that's because, let's say, you could purchase streaming services or bookings from other country at much cheaper rate. For example, YouTube Premium is just 85p if you change your virtual location to Argentina. And also, let's say you could book flights from other countries. That would be cheaper as well, perhaps, meaning you're paying out for Nord, but you're saving money overall. There's a whole host of other benefits from signing up to NordVPN, so why not give it a go? You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free it's completely risk-free with nord's 30-day money-back guarantee let's talk about friday's game against motherwell then it was uh behind closed doors friendly obviously the tottenham team been back at hotspur way for two weeks that's those not involved in the world cup uh and international action in november and you know, uh, a good workout for the team. Final win over Motherwell. Uh, comfortable, convincing win. The likes of Jed Spence, Dane Kulaseski, Brian Hill, Matt Doherty getting some good minutes in the tank as well. I think not like a usual pre-season game where it's about, you know, working up the fitness levels. This was really about topping up the levels and Conte gave everyone 75 minutes each uh, as opposed to in pre-season where they might get 45 minutes and with two friendlies on the agenda before the return of the Premier League against Brentford on Boxing Day I think it's one of those where the Spurs players had to you know take the opportunity and get back and try top up those levels for the game obviously we couldn't be at Hotspur Way on Friday as it was behind closed doors, so we did have to watch on Spurs TV. Ali, what did you make of it then? What the fact that it was behind closed doors, but was on Spurs play, <laughs> 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 which is the biggest kind of kind of paradox. Yeah, yeah. Guess did I? We did try to get into the actual friendly, trying to state the case that you can't be behind closed doors if you're showing the match on television or some form of streaming. But there you go. But we watched it like everyone else uh, from afar. Um, it's, look, at the end of the day, it's a friendly against a struggling Motherwell team. I didn't feel that they, I thought they were quite poor. Um, I was surprised fitness-wise how much stronger Spurs were, bearing in mind the Scottish Premiership returns this coming weekend. 
whereas Spurs obviously in the Premier League doesn't return until um, the uh, festive period. So you've got that element. I don't think you know we can go massively overboard in anything in that regard, but I do think there were certain things we can take from the game. I do think fitness was one of them. Um, it did really show that they've only had essentially two weeks off from training, a lot of those no non-World Cup players. So you could see fitness levels haven't dropped too much. Um, one really interesting thing, which I was trying to kind of work out exactly what he meant, that Dejan Kulisevsky after the game said that uh, he loved the new stuff they've been trying. And so I was kind of desperately trying to think back after he said that, like all the new things. I mean, certainly attacking wise, it's really difficult. Like I say, it's difficult to tell against Motherwell on a training ground friendly. But certainly attacking wise, there was a lot of movement. Um, and I did feel that Kulusevsky himself was kind of coming inside as a number 10 quite a lot as well, not just being a winger with kind of chalk on his boots type traditional style. So perhaps that's something. They're going to utilise his number 10 ability a bit more. Um, but yeah, I was trying to kind of work out what he meant because, like I say, that's been something that Spurs fans have had a bit of a gripe about as a style of football. Um, and Spurs were utterly dominant in this match. 4-0 um, victory. I think they had something like 61% possession, almost double the amount of passes that Motherwell had. Um, and they could have scored a lot more than four goals. They were very, very good. Um, the wing-backs were pretty much playing as wingers slash strikers for most of the game. They were so advanced. Um, yeah, it was interesting. It's I was surprised that they got all 74 minutes each, all the kind of the first-teamers. That did show that extra fitness level. I guess you've only got two friendlies, so you've got to make the most out of them. Um, but yeah, no, there's a few players that I know you're going to kind of pick out um, because there were some individually. I think the key is it's not to go overboard and say, oh, you know, this player or that player now is going to start every single match. But I do think the key thing to take away is that Conte would have been telling them certain things to do. And if they did it, then that's the key thing because. Conte wants to be shown that his instructions are being delivered to the letter, I guess. So, yeah. Who who stood out for you? Well, let's start with Jed Spence because, I mean, that's who everyone well, wanted Conte's to watch. Not, so we might as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's who everyone wanted to watch. I mean, obviously, Spurs fans are desperate to see more of him after 26 minutes across four appearances. So, he did get a start against Motherwell and it's, you know, fair to say he did impress uh, right from the off as well on the front foot. Showed some really good movement and I think what was notable was the likes of Ibisuma. Whenever he got the ball, he was looking to spray it wide to uh, Jed Spence and then the same with Dane Kulaseski as well. He was always looking to play in Spence. So he got into some really good attacking positions. I think there was... A couple of times where you know the final ball was missing or whoever got it uh unfortunately lost the ball. Uh but what we also saw from him is what Conte wants from his wing backs is whenever one's attacking the other on the opposite flank needs to be attacking the box and coming in. And we saw that uh midway through the first half. Matt Doherty on the left, uh good run, good cross, Spence, you know, coming in, attacking the ball and Unfortunately, just not getting the header on target, uh, what would have been a really good goal and something what Antonio Conte, I think he'll certainly take in uh, note of. So I think there were certainly some positives from Spence. And I mean, he just wasn't going forward as well. I know Movewell 
didn't really uh, threaten on occasions, but there was one one attack where I think Dabinton Sanchez lost the ball and I think their left back ended up trying to go into the area. But Spence used his pace, used his body as well to nudge him out of the way and he came away with the ball. So I think all in all, Jed Spence uh, played really well. But on the other hand, what probably wouldn't have helped him, Matt Doherty scoring two goals. Uh, so do you want to tell everyone what you thought of Matt Doherty's performance? Yeah, yeah, Matt Doherty was, was very good. Like I say, it's a friendly but um, yeah, it was it was quite kind of funny. Well, funny in a way. It would have been frustrating for Jed Spence to have played very well, like you say. I think with with, with Jed, it's it is worth going back to the Pedro Porro stuff about the physical suitability for Conte because Jed Spence, he's tall, he's strong, he's got terrific footwork, terrific pace. He he just ticks every single box for a Conte wing back. Um, and like you say, you know, he, he had the header across the box, which I think he was trying to pick out Harvey White uh, with, I think. And he had the shot when he was put through that he tried to dink over the keeper. And so he is very much kind of set up for that role. Um, and he did so much good stuff, I think. Um, but yeah, Matt Doty then went, scored two goals. Very nice composed finish for the first one, although probably the keeper should have done a bit better, I think, on reflection. Uh, second one was when he actually switched to the right-hand side of a back three, went up and scored a header from a Kudusevsky corner. Um, Doherty looked sharp. He looked bright. He looked like a guy that is trying to make up, I guess, for the lost time of um, like the first half of the season, really, where he didn't... Look, I don't think anyone could argue, towards the end of last season, before that ropey Matty Cash tackle on him, he was flying. He was really hitting his stride again. He looked happy. He looked in form. Conte was praising him week in, week out. And then, of course, that was what was a very serious knee injury really, really stopped everything. And it's taken him a long time. But, again, it's a, it's a friendly against Motherwell. But he looked sharp. He looked fit. He looked um, very fo- – and to be fair, playing on the left, I think, as a right-sided wing-back as well is not easy. So to come away from the match with two um, goals and to have been a constant threat as well, that will have given him a lot of confidence. Um, yeah, and obviously there is a person that we're not even mentioning in this, and that's Emerson Real. Um, Emerson Real, along with Lucas Moura, Clement Longley and Fraser Forster all had little knocks that they'd picked up in training in the last few days and Spurs just didn't want to kind of, it was just a precautionary thing. They didn't want to risk making them anything more than they are just knocks right now. Um, Ryan Sessegnon wasn't back yet because he uh, is back out on the grass. I don't know whether this week he's back in with the group, but certainly at that stage he was um, on the grass individually working and wasn't quite back with the group after that. Um, it looked like a hamstring injury, wasn't it, I think, against Forrest. Um, so yeah, that's why Matt Doherty was on the left. I do, I think he played well, and uh, it's one of those where you, you look at that match and you look at two wing backs, two right wing backs playing very well, full of confidence, showing Conte what they can do. But of course, there is a certain Brazilian that <laughs> may, may well start against Brentford. Um, we just don't know. I'd, I'd love for there to be a plan when it comes to Jed Spence, I'd love for. Conte to have said to Jed Spence, uh, look, don't worry, first half of the season, let's just get you up to speed. Let's get you where we want you to be. Then after the World Cup, if you take everything on board, 
you know, I'm going to try and we're, we're going to give you chances and you've got your opportunity to be the man. Whether that's actually true or not, we'll find out pretty swiftly, you'd imagine. Um, because I would imagine he's getting quite frustrated now. It's it's dragging on. I remember him telling me out on tour that he, you know, he was prepared to be patient, but not too patient. You know, they don't want to sit around forever waiting for your chance kind of thing. Um, and yeah, and obviously with the Poro links and everything, if there were to be another one, even maybe if there's not, a decision would have to be made on a loan move or not. Um, I can't imagine it was ever in Spencer's thinking to come to Spurs and then go out on loan. Um, certainly I was told by those who knew him back when he signed for Spurs that he there was never a plan for him to sign for any club to then head out on loan. Um, so, you know, we go back to young players and Conte managing and developing them. Um, does he want to? Um, and if he does, then, you know, you've got to manage the uh, the game time element of it as well. But, uh, yeah, no, it, was, it was a good game for the wing-backs and an exciting glimpse at how they can be when they're used properly. But, of course, they will have sterner defensive tests from uh, in the Premier League. Very much so. I think as well for the attackers, uh, really good game. Obviously, Dane Kulaseski, uh was the standout. Really cool finish uh, after two minutes. Brian Hill, you know, putting the pressure on his marker. He then played the loose ball back. Kulaseski seized it and then, you know, good finish. And then a couple of assists as well to his name. So that's certainly uh, what you want to see from the player after so long out. Uh, and then as well, Brian Hill, he managed to get his uh, name on the score sheet with a, a goal from close range. Uh, I think he got assist as well. Was he the one who set Doherty's first up yep. as yep. well? So, I mean, he's probably done uh, what was asked of him. And then obviously there's the friendly coming up on next Wednesday against Nice. So that's another opportunity for those players, you know, to try and impress again. And then there's one player we need to talk about. It was also in the attack, a bit of a strange position, but that was Harvey White playing as a bit of uh, a false nine. He was level at times with uh, Kulaseski and Brian Hill, but on other occasions did drop back, linked up well in the midfield and, I think it was the third goal, wasn't it, for Brian Hills, where mm. Harvey White played a crucial role in that really good Brilliant sweeping pass. ball out wide there to Kulaseski. Yeah, so opportunity for Harvey White to show Antonio Conte uh, what he can do. I thought he played well in that position. You're just hoping, again, there's a few more minutes coming his way against Nice. Uh, were you impressed then with his performance? Yeah, I mean... You know, we were talking about Matt Doherty being Mr. Versatile, playing on the left, playing in the centre-back position as well. Harvey White is probably the ultimate Mr. Versatile. He is a central midfielder that can play deeper. He can play further up the pitch. He can play at a push, really, on either side of a midfield three. He can play as a left-back. And here he was, absolutely surprising, I think, both of us, playing as a false nine, which I didn't even know he had the capability to do. But he he was good. He was he worked very hard, made up the extra number in midfield when called upon, but also broke into the box a few times, had a couple of chances in the second half that he'll probably feel he should have done better with. One, I think he hit straight the keeper, and one he hit wide as a target. Um, but that ball to Kulusevsky was fantastic. It was the first time... I think it was right-footed curling pass right into Kulusevsky's path. Superb. Um, yeah. 
you know, Harvey White's got a lot going for him. He's very clever tactically, takes a terrific set piece. Uh, like I say, very versatile, but he needs football. He needs football. You know, he went away to Portsmouth and kind of gradually got himself into the team there. And I think everyone at Portsmouth kind of expected they were going to get him back for the next year. Didn't turn out to be the case. And he's kind of spent the last, what are we now, 18 months, kind of season and a half, just, I don't want to say loitering in the background because that's really dismissive of him. And that's what I mean. But it kind of feels like he has. He's obviously been working very hard and he's been involved in training sessions, trying to push his case. He was on the bench for a lot of last season under Conte in the Premier League, especially never to even appear. You know, even when they're leading in games by a load of goals, it was never really, oh, let's bring, let's give Harvey a few minutes. Let's make, because he's never even made his Premier League debut, has he? He's played in the FA Cup. He's played in the Europa League, but he's never actually played in the Premier League. Um, and I do, I do feel sorry for him in that respect. But no, he was very good. Kurosewski was brilliant. He was like a force of nature. Everything Spurs did went through him. Uh, he looks incredibly fit. Brian Hill was very, very dangerous. A constant pest. Another one who desperately needs first-team football. Um, you know, 21 years old. He got minutes here and there. Never rewarded with a start, of course, but he got minutes here and there. God, I sound proper bitter about the young players. <laughs> People are going to talk about this podcast as, as me being... I, I should really stress, I think Antonio Conte is a brilliant coach, a really, really brilliant manager, and I do think Spurs can win silverware under him. But it just is a block when it comes to the young players. It's just not something that he deems almost important. It's almost like... I don't know. Is it like... Uh, playing a game like football manager and, and having a billion pounds to spend on it and buying yourself the very best players rather than actually bringing any of the young players through. Is it is it like playing something on cheat mode? Um, but which is weird because Conte is such a good coach. Every There's so many players that say Conte has coached them and development, uh, developed them. And I do think some of the young players, I think Sessegnon will say he's a better player now, having played with Conte. I'm sure Skip will be when he starts playing more minutes as well. Obviously, his has been more injury-based, I think. Um, and the fact that Benzinger and Hoybier have been so good. Um, but yeah, yeah. No, Harvey White I was very impressed with. Um, I just think you've got to give him and Pape Matisar now, give him the second half of the season on loan somewhere. Whether that means they bring in an experienced head just to be that fifth choice in midfield, I don't know. But don't just have two young, very talented players like that loitering around almost stagnating in their career. Get them out there. Maybe Harvey White, maybe championship now. Maybe give him a go in the championship somewhere. Pape Matassar, probably, I don't know whether you get a Premier League move for him at this point, whether anyone would take the chance because obviously he's, you know, what, he's just turned 20. It's a tough one there, mainly when clubs like that would maybe be fighting relegation. Maybe, I don't know, like a Bundesliga club, someone similar, a bit like Sessegnon's Hoffenheim loan. Um, but yeah, get them playing football. They need it. Um, but yeah, and I know you also wanted to talk about the midfield, uh, Basuma and Skip. What did you think of them on the day? Uh, yeah, I thought they both did well. I thought Basuma was probably the better uh, one of the two, got on the ball regularly, some really good passing at times. I don't think he'll be on free kick duty uh, for Tottenham ever after his attempt in the first 10 minutes. I think it was free kick just to the left of centre, a couple of yards outside the area. 
got managed to get the ball over the wall, but then over the, the back fence, uh, what's behind the goal? And I think there's a car park, yeah. isn't there? Straight behind that. Yes, so the ball, yes. I think ball would have been someone's windscreen. somewhere in the car park. But other than that attempt, uh, no, I thought it was uh, a good outing for Basuma. I think what we saw from him just before the breaking plays, he's starting to look a bit more like the play we saw at Brighton. He's certainly improving. Uh, and yeah, I, I thought on the whole, he did well. Oliver Skip uh, was certainly putting himself about some big crunching tackles at times, even though it was behind closed door game. And I think for him, it'll just be good to get the minutes in the tank because that's just not always been the case for him uh, this season uh, so far especially for both of them. So, I mean, as we were saying earlier, there's just been a huge over-reliance on a number of the players in the squad, and that's Hoybjerg and uh, Benton Kerr as well. So, no, for me, both of them played really well. Would like to see a bit more of them against Nice, but then you're going to have Pierre Milhoybjerg coming into the equation uh, when he returns to Hotspur way as as well. So, it's good. Just going back to what you're saying, Saar and White, mm. I think, yeah, ideal world, you send them both out and learn to desperately need it. Realistically, I think the needs to be a fifth option. So unless a new player comes in, then I think probably only one of them had go. Uh, but let's let's wait and see what happens in January. I think Harvey White's desperate for a loan. He needs to be playing. It's two years since he went to Portsmouth. You just can't believe yeah, he's barely yeah. played a minute since. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, with Skip and Basuma, I thought the key thing for me, which was nice to see, was they played in their normal roles yeah. <laughs> rather than kind of mixed around, switched around way that they've been playing when they have see, been seen under Conte. Um, Skippy was in the uh, anchorman role and Basuma was in a box-to-box role and they, they dominated. Motherwell just had no chance against them in the midfield. Skippy swept up everything that kind of came near the penalty box or, or in the Spurs half. And Basuma was constantly raising up the pitch, played a really nice ball to Kulisevsky for, I think it was Brian Hill's goal, I think. I'm trying to remember which one it was. But he played a really nice through pass for that one. Uh, just getting forward, um, involved in the attack. He does look fitter. He looks sharp. Like you say, he looks um, like he's trying to be the player he was at Brighton as well, which is great news because he was a terrific player there. And, you know, there's a place up for grabs at Brentford. We know Benton Kerr would have probably missed it with injury anyway, but he is suspended um, for that game. So someone is going to have to play alongside Hoybier, whether it's Skip, whether it's um, Basuma or whether it's both someone's got to play there. So they're kind of fighting for that chance right now. I think they're likely this week at some point to play kind of those informal training ground friendlies that you'll have in a club against the under-21s. They'll do one or two of those. And then obviously the Nice game next week where, I mean, you should have the bulk of them back for, you know, there's a suggestion that even Harry Kane might be back in time to play for that. And, uh, you know, We'll talk about Harry Kane a little bit, but you just think you want to play football now if you're Harry Kane. <laughs> just just any minutes just to get everything out of your system. Um, but yeah, no, I think Skippy is another player who needs to 
push on in the second half of this season. He's got a lot going for him. Uh, very highly rated at the club and outside of it as well. And now he also needs minutes. Um, there's going to be a lot of competitions coming up with the FA Cup, Champions League. Obviously, Hoybier's suspended, isn't he, in the Champions League, the first AC Milan game as well. Um, so there should be a lot of minutes. It's, get, I guess, about two-way trust. It's about Conte trusting these players to come in, um, but also these players giving him a reason to trust them as well um, because he can't just always play Benton Kona Hoybier, but otherwise they'll just be run into the ground. Um, but yeah, again, was a friendly, so we had that caveat, but they certainly looked quite sharp, which is a good thing to see. Yeah. As you touched on Harry Kane, uh, let's discuss the man after what happened on Saturday night. Obviously, England went out of the World Cup with a 2-1 defeat against France, Kane missing a penalty with five minutes to go. Uh yeah, not the way everyone wanted the tournament to to end. Uh, George, just give us your thoughts first of all, then Ali, on the penalty. Oh, you chucked out of that one, didn't you? You chucked that straight at me. Um, well, I, I'll go first if you want. No, no, no it's fine. Go it's first. fine. Um, I would say if I was to, if someone said to me, "You've got to pick one player to take a penalty to save Guesty's life," I would pick Harry Kane. <laughs> And that's a good thing. That's a saying I want you to live. Um, I would pick Harry Kane because Harry Kane, for me, I've seen him so many, well, we both have, and so many occasions when the pressure's been on, big moments like, I don't know, at Anfield, didn't he miss one? And then in the 95th minute, Anfield had to take a penalty and he buried it. I feel like it might have even been in front of the cop. Possibly. It was, yeah, it yeah. was. So we've seen him in these huge moments. And, and the first penalty as well. Um, you know, the pressure on that first penalty was huge and facing Hugo Lloris in a keeper he knows very well, but um, strangely enough, hasn't actually practised many penalties against because mostly it's against, you know, likes of Fraser Forster and, and Brandon Austin. Um, so, yeah, he, he could do it. I think it was just, I think he said it himself, just the execution went wrong, just in the moment, just was not what he had meant to do with the ball. Or clearly, he didn't mean to whack it over the bar. Uh, although there's that really unfortunate video of Johnny Wilkinson. Have you seen that? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, oh, why did he do that? If, if anyone's not aware, Johnny Wilkinson, and I think it must have been a charity thing, came to St. George's Park a f- years back um, to like do a little jokey session with Kane and taking penalties. And obviously Johnny Wilkinson scoring the... Uh, the winning points for England at the Rugby World Cup was saying, oh, no, no, you've got to hit it over the bar. And then Harry Kane copied him and it's been like, oh, that's unfortunately now incredibly topical and really bad to watch. I think what was so frustrating, and this is just obviously is a unfortunate thing now in football, is that the moment that ball went over the bar, not only was I incredibly disappointed for England and, and Kane, but I just knew what was going to come next for Harry Kane and the rubbish he was going to get across social media and everything. I mean, don't get me wrong, what uh, Marcus Rashford and, and Bakaya Saka got was horrendous after the Euros. You know, obviously, with the, the racist kind of messages and nature of it, it was absolutely disgusting and terrible. Uh, but I knew that in a obviously a very different way that Harry Kane being a player who divides opinion, especially among those clubs, he scored a lot of goals against who don't the fans don't like him. I knew that everything was going to be pinned on his shoulders. Um, 
you know, ignoring the fact that he scored 10 goals to take him to the World Cup, ignoring the fact that he scored two goals and laid on three assists at this World Cup, um, ignoring the fact that the man absolutely pours everything he can into his England performances. He really is so proud to be the England captain. And, and he was distraught after the game. You saw him on the pitch and apparently in the changing room is absolutely inconsolable. I mean, fair play for coming out. I guess he had to as a captain, but to talk to ITV afterwards, I didn't actually think he would, um, but he did. And look, he'll be the first to admit that that was a huge moment and he did something out of character and, and he blasted the ball over there. Was it the only reason that England didn't win that game? Absolutely not. You know, they. Uh, I did actually think they played well. I think they played well on the whole, but they conceded goals that there was no need to concede. Yes, you could argue the referee <laughs> made some very iffy decisions as well during the match, but that performance was not, you know, Harry Kane chucking England out of the World Cup. Absolutely not. Um, and just some of the stuff that's come afterwards is just, it's just really horrible to see. And I think the key now is for Harry Kane not to let this define his career. We've got a thing in England of penalties, misses in shootouts, defining careers. You know, they even make pizza adverts about them. Whereas elsewhere, you know, Ronaldo's missed penalties in the World Cup. Messi's missed penalties in the World Cup. He missed a penalty in the Copper America final. Um, you know, Beckham has been sent off. He's missed a penalty as well. I remember that as well. Uh, Wayne Rooney's been sent off. These things don't have to define their careers. Uh, I think there is a trend, obviously, among those other players that they've gone on to win trophies or had already been winning trophies. I think that's the thing for Kane. I think Kane has to channel all of his efforts now into making sure his career is defined by the trophies he wins, hopefully with Tottenham and also with England going forward. Um, but yeah, just don't let that one moment define you. And against Hugo Lloris, who I thought had a really good game as well. <laughs> of all the times that English Spurs fans really probably didn't want Hugo Lloris to have a great game, I thought he absolutely stuffed the pre-match criticism of him down the throats of those who questioned his, I guess, uh, level within that French team. Yeah. Uh, it was just really, really unfortunate what happened. It happens to the best players. Roberto Baggio missed the penalty Baggio, in the 94 World Cup final, yeah. blazed it over, very similar one. I just thought, I thought you you went to put too much power on it. It was almost like you wanted to put even more power on it than the first attempt. What was an absolute incredible penalty, emphatic. Oh, Larice had no chance. Where do you and, stand on the he shouldn't have taken the second penalty debate? That's absolute rubbish. Absolute rubbish, whoever's saying that. Complete rubbish. No, I mean, why wouldn't you? Every single England fan, before that penalty, if they're asked for one player to step up and take it in that scenario, every single one would pick Harry Kane because of his yeah. brilliant penalty record. Uh, you know, and half an hour earlier, he'd scored an absolute fantastic penalty as well. So I, I don't buy that he shouldn't have stepped up. And let's be honest, Kane's not going to step aside in that scenario. Why would he give the penalty up? He's captain. He takes them for Tottenham. Yeah, takes Why? responsibility, fronts up, yeah. Yeah, and just imagine, say, if he did step aside in that scenario and, say, whoever stepped up then went and missed the penalty. Just think of the amount of questions and abuse that's going to come Kane's way oh, yeah. after that. Because everyone I mean, was saying, well, the captain, you take him usually. Why aren't you the one stepping up? 
Yeah, well, we saw Neymar just in the Brazil game, didn't we? Like he was set, to, wasn't he set to take the fifth penalty in the shootout? And everyone's question, oh, why wasn't he straight there, getting in there first? Instead, he's looking for the glory of the fifth penalty, all of this sort of stuff. You can't win. You cannot win as a as a penalty taker. You really can't, unless you just keep putting that ball in that net. And even the best are going to miss them. And I mean, those who were saying that taking it against Larice kind to his head came to the few days earlier he's very rarely taking penalties yeah. against Larice because it'll be either Fraser Forster Brandon Austin Alfie Whiteman who he takes them against in training after the training sessions and and there's someone saying that he looks nervous he was you know fidgeting with his socks that's his penalty routine and yeah, it's always. the same when he takes a free kick he always does that because you, you'll have seen for the first penalty he had to put the ball on the spot again. And then it was his usual routine, pulling the socks up, waited. a big breath, then, doesn't it, just before yeah. he runs as well, yeah. Yeah, so whoever was saying Kane shouldn't have taken it, just complete rubbish, honestly. <laughs> Rob he was declares the... war. No, but on... Come on. It was, uh, I agree. It's a classic hindsight response. At the end of the day, everyone's wiser after the event, and hindsight's a great thing. Every single right. person with a pig's cane to take it. Yeah. My favourite one is when people say, like, oh, I could have scored it. All you had to do was put it on target. I love stuff like that because even, you know, you and I who write about football as our jobs could never imagine. I mean, you and I have played on a Tottenham Hotspur Stadium pitch, an empty Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. <laughs> Can you imagine having to take a penalty in there with 60,000 people and 65 million people's hopes resting on your shoulders to put that ball in the net. Look, I know he's a professional. I know he's one of the best in the world. But you're telling me that every time that person is going to hit an absolutely 100% perfect penalty, it's, I'm sorry, it's they're not machines. That's just going to happen occasionally. I mean, he has taken two uh, in the match before. Uh, Panama, the last World Cup, scored them yeah. both arrowed them into the top corner. Uh, yeah, it's just one of those things, isn't it? It, yeah. it happens. Uh, and to be honest, even if he's scored, there's no guarantee England would have uh, gone through anyway because yeah. was it literally straight after they scored the first penalty, Rabio went through on goal practically straight from kickoff and had that yeah. chance uh, on, on, on goal. So, yeah, it happens. I think it's how you bounce back now and for me, 100%. Kane's got an absolute incredible mentality and he'll come back stronger for it. And I think, you know, he'd certainly back him to score on Boxing Day against Brentford. Uh, if it obviously he's in the team, I've no doubts he'll come back stronger from that. Yeah, he's going to get flack for it. He knows it. He's got it in the aftermath, but the people will remind him. He'll, he'll get chance. They'll get all of that. Whenever he goes out to take a penalty, probably now at opposition grounds, they'll all go like, oh, and all this. He'll get all of that. It's now key that he he's a guy that I think does focus a lot on the mentality of the game um, and the psychological side. So I think that's going to be key for him now in, in learning to just shut all of that noise out in his head um, and focusing. And if any, anyone can do that, I do think it's him. In the nicest possible way, I hope he absolutely destroys Brentford. <laughs> and, and this is no, no disrespect to Brentford meant whatsoever. I just feel for him as a player to go out there and score just the weight off his shoulders, I think, will be huge uh, instantly. Just make him think, right, okay, I'm back to my bread and butter. And from Spurs' perspective, yeah, channel it into making this the most 
successful season that he's had at Spurs. You know, just crack on. Um, again, I can't live in his a day in his shoes at all. So I'm sure this week before he returns is going to be one of those where he's trying to rest with his family, but it will dominate his thoughts. I've no doubt he'll lie awake at night thinking about that penalty because it was such a kind of a big moment in his career, but it doesn't have to be the defining moment. And that's the key thing. Um, but yeah, on the whole, just as a kind of a sign off in England, I guess, I, th I thought they had a good tournament on the whole. I think um, I'm not really one that jumps on the Gareth Southgate criticism. I think, yes, a bit like Conte, the football sometimes isn't the greatest, which makes, um, you know, Kane, this is the other thing, obviously, it's overshadowed the fact that he's now, no one scored more goals than him for England. You know, he reached that 53 mark, um, 16 penalties, despite people that will have you think on social media that he's scored every goal as a penalty against San Marino or something. Um, only 16 out of the 53 with penalties. It's I think Southgate has overseen one of the best periods of England's tournament times, eras, you know. I mean... What was it? Semi-finals of the World Cup, final of the Euros, quarter-finals of the World Cup with a very good performance against France. You know, Mbappe was nullified for most of that game by Kyle Walker. He had a terrific game. I thought Declan Rice really became a top, top international player, I felt. Jude Bellingham, star, is going to be one of the best in the world. A few of the defenders, I think, probably rammed a lot of the criticism of them back down people's throats as well. Um, and yeah, excited. I thought Saka had a terrific tournament. Like we say, again, bouncing back after that penalty miss, I thought he was one of England's best players at this tournament. He was incredible against France. That's my main criticism, I'd say, of Southgate in the whole tournament, was why he took Saka off. Unless it was something I wasn't aware of, like a little knocker and injury, France were terrified of him. He's such a good young player. Um, I should stress there, young player. <laughs> a young player that, <laughs> as he comes through the academy as well, I think, I presume, at Arsenal. Um, but hey, I'm not going to harp back on that bandwagon. But, uh, yeah, I, I just think it's one of those sad things that people will just see it as England went out in the quarterfinals, but I do think they, they had a good tournament. They were better than that. Yeah, they had a good tournament on the whole. On another day, they could have beaten France. We've seen it when they played big teams before, you know, and they sit back a bit. But, no, they went for it. No, could have won. Could have won. It's, yeah. it's, just, it's just one of those things that happens in tournament football. So, who do you think's going to win it then? Overall now, final week, Argentina, Croatia and France-Morocco. I'm sticking with, I think I said this on the last podcast, that whoever would win this quarterfinal, England-France, was going to go on and win it. And I think I'm going to stand by that. I think France will go on to win it purely because exactly that. They got through this quarterfinal without really being particularly good. Uh, and we know how good they can be. I think um, Morocco, of course, have been one of the brilliant surprise packages of this tournament. You know, the first African team to reach the last four. It's absolutely historic. They've been so, so good. But <laughs> our favourite expression, on paper, France should be getting through that. Obviously, Morocco have knocked out a lot of big teams, so there's no guarantee. But I think France can get through that. Then I think they've got the quality and an Mbappe an absolute world-class player when he's not playing against Carl Walker, clearly. But even the one time that Carl Walker let him go because of the foul that was never given on Saka, Mbappe just tore up the pitch and suddenly it was a goal. Um, obviously, Griezmann as well. Giroud's kind of 
having like the time of his life right now playing up front in that team as well. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd still go with France. I think Argentina, of course, have got a big chance, and Croatia. Their experience is such a big thing. Theirs is remarkable when you look at the size of their country as well and the, the population. All of that. I've had a terrific tournament, but also should stress again a tournament where we're going to have a Spurs player in the World Cup final because either Romero or Perisic will be potentially Larice. If Larice were to win, I think that would be historic, wouldn't it? The first time anyone would ever have lifted the World Cup back-to-back as a captain. I think that, that would be incredible. Um, and you look at the little run we've recently had. So we've had, who have we had? Larice 2018 World Cup. Dyer and Kane at the Euros final. Um, La Celso, and we can just about shoehorn Romero in Copper America final, although Romero hadn't quite signed yet. Um, Pape Matassar, African Cup of Nations, and now either Perisic and Romero and potentially Larice in the World Cup final. Something about Spurs and finals. <laughs> um, I'm to think. No, no, some of those have been won. One, two, three of those have been won. So it's it's not Spursy as those people are going to use that tag. Um, yeah, no, I just it'd be lovely to have a, a World Cup winner come back to uh, Tottenham Hotspur. I think Romero will be coming back with a winner's medal. I, I said Argentina before the tournament and I know they had that defeat against Saudi Arabia, but once they'd beaten Mexico, I still thought, yeah, they're going to go on and win it. Uh, I think they've got better as the tournament's gone on and, you know, they've got a player in the attack who can, you know, create a bit of magic. I think, I think Argentina, I think there might be a surprise in the other semi-final. Oh, I, yeah, I think it might Morocco be a, a bit of a surprise. I mean, the Morocco, they were a Greece in 04. Did they go all the way and win it? Yeah, I mean, I don't think, no con- why not. I think they've only conceded one. Only conceded once uh, this tournament. Uh, got past Spain, got past Portugal, beat Belgium comfortably. Why can't they go on and win it? I mean, confidence has gone to be there confidence is certainly going to be as high as it's ever been they won't be afraid of going up against France, nothing to lose at the end of the day. Uh, I wish I'd had them in our office sweepstake now Yeah, yeah, shame I've I've not got Morocco by the way, my team went out I think I had Ecuador and Canada (laughs) I wasn't wasn't flying unfortunately Yeah, so I'll go for Argentina. I got Argentina Morocco final. Argentina to uh, to win it all. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's been a really good tournament, and this week, you know, some good games on the agenda. So it surprised right. me. I must admit, it's been a better World Cup than I anticipated. Obviously, the off pitch stuff is a whole different thing, but on the pitch, it's yeah, it's had some good games. I still wouldn't want it in mid season. I'd still way prefer to have watched all of this in the summer, um, but. There's been some good games. Yeah, a few too many nil nils in the first week, but after that, yeah, I mean the final round, the group games, absolutely incredible, and the knockout stages have been fantastic so far. So hopefully, a good final week to round off what has been a really good tournament. Right, I think we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Gold and Guest Top Tottenham. We'll be back next week to discuss plenty more in the world of Tottenham Hotspur as ever. Just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news.
Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.